Hey everybody, it's Mark. Welcome or welcome back to the New Spring Church podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free New Spring app where you can access all of our recent message content. Actually, the app is the easiest way to share all this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around here at New Spring. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Weeks one through three is how can I be blessed? But today I think it's really important for us to recognize we are blessed. And today's title is I'm blessed, so what? And a whole lot of it comes down to the inflection of that statement because I think all of us are making that statement. If we are typical Americans, then we'll make the statement like this. I'm blessed, so what? Or those of us who are in tune to God and care about God's work in our lives, we will ask the question with a different inflection. We will say, I'm blessed. So what? As if to say, so how do I respond? If you feel that day today, you're not the first person to feel that. I'm going to spend most of our time in Psalm 116. Because in this song or psalm, King David asks a question. And the question goes like this, what can I give back to God for all the blessings that he's done for me? Well, it's an okay translation, but I don't think it's the best translation. When I look at that Hebrew word that's translated give back, it really is more like the word respond. I think that would be the purest definition. So David's question is, how do I respond? I'm blessed, so what do I do? How do I respond? Well, Our study today, Psalms 116, is really a part of a very large book, the largest book of the Bible called Psalms. Uh, In English, in our vernacular, we would say the book is entitled Songs. Psalms is the song book of the Bible. And there are 150 of them, many of them written by King David, some written by others. But if you look at the songs in the Bible, they're pretty much divided into two, two stanzas. The first stanza would be asking for help. It would be telling God what trouble we're in. And then the second part of the second verse of the songs would be trying to respond to God. Maybe this is the best way of saying it. Psalms is a book of pain and praise. Uh, There are some Psalms that are pretty much pain. There are some Psalms that are pretty much praise. In fact, many of our worship songs come literally from the book of Psalms. There are times when the first half of the psalm is pain and the last half of the song is praise. And there are actually a few places in the psalms where David is putting pain and praise pretty much in the same paragraph. So in Psalm 116, before David says, how shall I respond? He's talking about the trouble that he's in. And this is really graphic language. And for some of you who are going through hard times right now, maybe you'll find voice to some of what you're feeling. In Psalm 116 verse 3, David said, death stared me in the face. Has that ever happened to you? It has me. 
I mean, there are various ways that we could get to that place. It could be physical, it could be emotional, it could be relational, but you just felt like death was staring you in the face. And David said, that's where I was. And then he says, hell was hard on my heels, up against it. I didn't know which way to turn. Then I called out to God for help. But God must have responded because look at what he says in verse seven. He said, I said to myself, God has showered you with blessings. So the mood is greatly changed from that moment where David said, death stared me in the face. David is now saying, as I look back on that, God has showered me with blessings. And then look at verse eight, soul, you've been rescued from death. Before, death stared me in the face, but self, you've been rescued from death. Have you been there? Yes, I've been there. And then he said, I, you've been rescued from tears. You ever face something that you thought was gonna break your heart, but then God somehow, with his majesty and power, came and turned that situation? And you look and you think, wow, that would have broken my heart for the rest of my life, but eyes, you've been rescued from tears, and foot, you were kept from stumbling. Oh, does this speak to my life? Because I have almost done so many stupid things. Can I get a witness on that? Anybody else here? You've been like, oh, I was about to make the mistake of my life. I mean, some of you right now thinking about someone you dated that you almost married, and you're saying, oh God, thank you that you kept my foot from stumbling. You feel what I'm saying? David's like, I was in so much trouble. I, I was staring death in the face and hell was hard on my heels and I was in trouble. I didn't know what else to do. And I called out to God, and, oh God, you blessed me so much and you, you, you've rescued my soul from dying and you kept my eyes from crying and you kept me from making really stupid decisions. And it is at this point in verse 12 where David said, how can I respond? What is the appropriate response to God for the blessings that he's poured out on me. Well, as I said, the book of Psalms is largely the book of David's songwriting. And so what I did was I, I mined the whole book of Psalms, the 150 Psalms, and I looked at the four predominant responses that David teaches us in regard to God's blessing. And all this comes from the book of Psalms, but today, if you feel blessed, now, if you're here today and you say, I'm blessed, so what? I, I, there's nothing I can do for you. I don't know there's anything anybody can do for you because there's a line in this world between winners and losers and that line tends to be gratitude. So if you're an I'm blessed, so what person, there's nothing that can be done. But if you're here today and you begin to feel just how blessed you are and you're saying, how do I respond to God? I really think the next few moments are gonna be really important in your life. They're not only gonna prepare you for Thanksgiving, they're gonna prepare you for the rest of your life. Let's start with this. When David asks, what shall I do to respond to God? One answer keeps coming up over and over, and that is the answer that David says, I will remember. I will remember what God has done. In Psalm 103, verse two, David said that all that I am, praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things that he does for me. See, there's something demeaning about being forgotten. Have you ever been in a relationship with someone who forgot important things in your life? Typically, if you're in that kind of relationship, it doesn't last very long. You know, someone says he loves you, but he forgets your birthday. 
Someone says he loves you, but he forgets the good things that you've done. That tends to really weaken and damage your relationship. Well, hey, it's important to God that we remember. You know, it's a strange thing. And not only in America, but in American Christianity, and I know that some of you are watching from other places in the world, I don't know what things are like where you are, but here in the United States, we tend to trivialize gratitude. If I put a sign out on the, you know, out there on the road that people pass by all the time on 21st, if I put a sign out there that said, we're doing a brand new series on gratitude, I know how most people think it's like, oh, oh. Well, it's not one of the more important topics. And some of you might even feel that way today. I hope not. We tend to trivialize gratitude, but gratitude is not trivial. It is hugely important to God. I mean, you know, if I'm talking about gratitude and looking at the blessings of God, someone's going to say, well, that's just glass half full stuff, or that's just look on the bright side stuff, or that's just optimism. You know what's deadly poisonous about all that? It's the that's just. That's the problem with it. That's the cancerous problem with it. Because that's just means it's not very important, but it's important to God. See, it's very important to God that we remember how blessed and who blessed. Let me say that one more time. It's very important to God that we remember how blessed and who blessed. I love the book of Deuteronomy. If you're a young adult, a lot of young adults at New Spring, if you're a young adult, you need to fall in love with the book of Deuteronomy. I know it's got a weird name, and it's the fifth book of the Pentateuch, and if you've ever read through the back half of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers, you know, that's kind of tough sledding sometimes, and it could be a challenge to ask yourself, do I really want to read the book of Deuteronomy? Young adults, you really want to read the book of Deuteronomy. It's one of my, I'm not young, but that's one of my favorite books in the Bible. I'll tell you why. When God called Moses to lead the, lead the Israelites out of Egypt and into the promised land, something really bad happened. The Bible tells us they got to one spot where it should have taken 11 days, but instead it took 40 years. Why did something that should have taken 11 days take 40 years? Well, it was because the older generation choked at a moment of destiny. They were about to go into the land, and they sent spies over to see about the land, and the spies came back and said, yeah, the land is good like God said, but there are giants over there, and they're going to kill us. And the older generation said, we don't want to go over there because our kids will die. And it really made God upset, and God said, okay, tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to have you go in circles and punch holes in the desert until there are enough graves for all of you older generation. And then I'm going to take the younger generation that you're claiming to be scared for. I'm going to take them over and we're going to conquer the land. When you get to the book of Deuteronomy, that older generation has just about died out. And you have the elderly Moses talking to the young generation, this high energy Believing God, faith in God, this generation that is tired of going in circles in the desert, ready to go into the land. Deuteronomy is Moses talking to them. That's why this book energizes me. Now, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, Moses is coaching them up about what's going to happen when they get into the land. And he's going to use a word that is a very rare word for God to use. I'll read it to you in just a second, but watch for it. It's the word beware. God doesn't usually say beware. God usually says fear not. 
But God is going to speak to this young generation who's going to conquer the land, and God's going to give them a beware. Watch this. When the Lord brings you into the land to give you large and beautiful cities which you didn't build, and houses full of good things which you didn't fill, and wells which you didn't dig, vineyards and olive trees you didn't plant, when you have eaten and are full, then beware, lest you forget the Lord. Do you hear that today? God is like saying, I can handle just about anything else. Think with me for a moment. You guys know, I mean, whether you're a you know, long-time Bible student or you're just sort of a cursory Bible student, you, you know enough of this story to know that the Israelites faced all kinds of trouble, stuff that would have scared me. I mean, two and a half million people, you can't move anywhere fast. They leave Egypt, get to the Red Sea, it's at flood stage, and suddenly Pharaoh changes his mind. you got the most powerful army in the world behind you, and you got the Red Sea in front of you. You're caught in a dilemma. So for me, if God was going to say, beware, that'd be a good time, because I could feel that. And yet God said, what did he say? Don't be afraid, fear not, stand still, see the salvation of the Lord. Well, they get across the Red Sea, and they run out of water. Now, that's a dangerous thing. If I were God, I would say, hey, I would beware about going into the desert and not being hydrated, not having any water. I mean, when I was in Israel and we were going down to Gaza, the area, they, all, they were always concerned about us having water and drinking and staying hydrated. Hey, listen, run out of water? If I'm God, I'd be like, hey, you worry about that. And God didn't say that. He just said, don't worry about anything. And he touched the rock, water comes out. They run out of food. Hey, Two and a half million people in the desert, no McDonald's, no Burger King, no mall, you know? I mean, it, that would be scary to run out of food. God said, don't worry about that. I'll rain down manna from heaven. I'll tell you something that really would have scared me, snakes. They get out there and there's snakes. And God said, don't worry about that. Has Moses make a brass pole? They go through there with the brass pole. People are healed. I mean, time after time after time, the stuff that we would normally be scared of, God said, don't worry about that. But strangely enough, he said to this young generation, you know what? You're going to get over there, and it's going to be everything I promised you. And you're going to have houses that you didn't build. You're going to have vineyards that you didn't plant. You're going to have olive groves that you didn't set up. You're going to get over there, and it's going to be a turnkey job. And God said that when you get over there and you've had everything that you wanted in life, then beware, lest you forget me. Do we hear that, New Spring? God is like, I can handle anything. All the stuff that scares you, God said, I can handle that. Don't worry about that. The one thing God can't handle is after God has been so good to Mark Hoover, if Mark walks away and says, I'm blessed, so what? God's like, I can't handle that. It's important that we don't forget God. Let me go a different direction with this. I really do believe that Thanksgiving starts with Thanksgiving. I'm not trying to be cute. I'm not trying to be corny. I'm just saying I really do believe that Thanksgiving starts with thinking about what God has done in our lives. And what we don't understand is a whole lot of the emotional distress that we feel in the United States and emotional disorders are at a level that they've never been at before. And I'm not saying they're all a part of this, but I'm telling you what would make us all better. A lot of the emotional issues in America are because we're not grateful for all the things that we have. The Wall Street Journal completed a 10-year study on the benefits of gratitude. And here's what the WSJ found. Adults who are grateful have more energy, more optimism, more social connections, and more happiness. 
Adults who are grateful are less likely to be depressed, envious, greedy, or substance addicts. They sleep more soundly, exercise more regularly, have greater resistance to viral infections. Sounds pretty good to me. Another scientific study analyzed children who were grateful. They found that children who were grateful were less materialistic, got better grades, set higher goals, had fewer headaches, and fewer stomach aches. I was reading some time back about how blessed we are in America. We've got so much stuff. Today's necessities were yesterday's luxuries. Let me just go through some stuff here, some history. In 1900, less than 10% of Americans owned a stove. Less than 10% of Americans had electricity or phones. In 1915, less than 10% of American families had a car. In 1930, less than 10% of families owned a refrigerator or a clothes washer. In 1945, less than 10% of families had a clothes dryer or air conditioning. In 1960, less than 10% had a dishwasher or a color television. In 1975, I was in college then. In 1975, less than 10% of Americans had a microwave oven. And in 1990, less than 10% of Americans had a cell phone or internet. And yet today, over 90% have all of those. And yet, in a 2012 Gallup study, America ranked 33rd on world happiness scale. Nations of the world were analyzed to find out where were the happiest people. America, the most blessed nation on the planet, was number 33. Seven out of the top 10 nations, the happiest nations in the world, were in Latin America. While I'm on this, let me just read a little excerpt from an article, and you think about where you think this article might have emanated from. Quote, with gratitude, people acknowledge the goodness in their lives. In the process, they usually recognize that the source of that goodness lies outside of themselves. As a result, gratitude helps people connect to something larger than themselves. That article recommended four things. Number one, keep a gratitude journal. Number two, count your blessings. Number three, pray. And number four, meditate. Where do you think that came from? Christianity Today? Christian Post? God Posts? How about Harvard Medical School? I really do believe that we Americans might ought to slow down a little bit and do some thanksgiving give God some thought about what he's done in our lives. And not only would it help us spiritually, I think it would help us physically and emotionally. So David has asked the question, I'm blessed, so what shall I do? How shall I respond? And number one is remember. And now number two, and if you're not a Christ follower yet, I'm not putting any pressure on you here. But if you are a Christ follower, Number two is really important because one thing David talks about all throughout the book of Psalms is this one. Make some noise. If God has done good stuff for you, then make some noise. In Psalm 100, the Bible says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord all the earth. Come into his presence with singing. Well, in David's world, the place where the people of God gathered, David clearly knew he was in the presence of God all the time. That's in his Psalms. But he understood there was a special relationship 
when he came into the presence of other believers and he said, you come into his presence with singing. In other words, I'm not waiting for Austin and the band or Jackie and the band over in North Auditorium. I'm not waiting on them to fire me up. I'm coming in here with my motor running. God has been good to me. I'm going to enter his courts with thanksgiving. Tonight we have a night of worship and I'm looking forward to it. If you were at the last night of worship, you know what to expect. But I also recognize that we live in Kansas. I'm a Texan by birth, but being here 35 years, I really consider myself a Kansan. And I do know that sometimes we're a little quieter than other parts of the country. It's just our DNA here in the Midwest. And there are many good things about that. But I also have watched through the years as those of us in the Midwest are a little more sedate in this matter of worship. And it's as if, well, we're, we're more on the quieter side. So consequently, you know, the idea of singing and engaging, it's not really me. Or... I think sometimes this is true, especially of guys. It's not really me. Well, sometimes it's important to get outside of ourselves and look at the world outside of what is me and what's not me. Let me read you a story briefly from Jesus' life. There, there were 10 lepers. Now, leprosy in Bible times was not like leprosy in our times. It was a much more serious disease. It was fatal. What would happen is there'd be like a little white dry spot that would come up on the skin, and then there would be a skin lesion. Leprosy in Bible days was contagious. And so consequently, uh, when a person had leprosy, It was a really scary thing. Ultimately, what it would do is it would actually eat away the digits of the fingers and toes, and then it would would kill the person. So because it was such a deadly disease, a person who had leprosy had to leave the confines of life and go out and live in a segregated community. Job, it's over. Family, you can't be with your family anymore. So... When Jesus was on the earth, it it came out that he was healing lepers. And there were 10 guys that were part of a leper community. And when they heard that Jesus was coming by, they started calling out with a loud voice. And the reason they called out with a loud voice was A, they were in trouble, and B, they couldn't get close. So they started calling out with a loud voice, Jesus, son of David, which is a reference to him being Messiah. Have mercy on us. And the Bible tells us that he healed them. Now, verse 15, you know this story, many of you. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back praising God. I love Dr. Luke. Of the four gospels, Dr. Luke puts in so many specific details. Dr. Luke records something that the other gospel writers don't record. He said he came back praising God with a loud voice. In other words, when he came back, his volume was still turned up. See, a lot of us, when we're in trouble and we think we're going to go down and death is staring us in the face and hell is hot on our hills, we like really cry out to God. It doesn't matter what our personality is. We're in trouble and we're calling out to God with a loud voice. And then after he answers our prayer, well, it's like volume's kind of turned down a little bit. Let's read on. He fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. When, then Jesus answered, weren't there 10 cleansed? 
Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Someone could say, well, Mark, when it comes to worshiping, it's not, it's just not me. I mean, I've had friends say to me, Mark, I love coming for the preaching and I love the teaching of the word of God, but worship is just not me. Well, I'm grateful that you love to hear God's word. But the worship is important to Jesus. Someone could say, well, it's just not me. I'll tell you what would fix you for good. And I mean that in every sense of the word, for good. A minute in hell. I mean that, a minute in hell. I mean, Jesus talks about hell more than anybody else. Hell in the Bible is not some product of some wild-eyed prophet. Jesus talks more and more specifically than anybody else, the loving, the loving Jesus. And in Luke 16, he tells about a guy who went to hell. I mean, we have hell depicted in judgment house, and every time I walk through it, I think it's so much worse than this. Jesus tells about a guy who goes to hell. He can't get out. He can't get back. He's in the flame. He's, his tongue is parched and dry, and he begs Abraham to send Lazarus that he might touch the tip of his finger in water and touch it to his tongue because he said, I'm tormented in this flame. Have you ever thought about what it would be like to spend a minute in hell? I mean, I don't know if they have watches in hell. As much as I hate watches sometimes, I almost figure they're probably there. Can you imagine being in hell and trying to make it for a minute? Can you imagine how long that minute would be? And then to be there for a minute, can you imagine trying to make a whole day in hell? Can you imagine what it would be like to try to make a week in hell? To be there for a year? And yet the Bible says that the people in hell can never get out. I mean, Jesus called it this way. He said, the people who would like to try to get from, you, from here to you can't, and the people there can't get out. I mean, I, I really do believe if we could be in hell for just a minute, when we came back to the next worship service, we wouldn't care if we sang on pitch. We wouldn't care if anybody heard us. We would just be so excited to praise the God who loved us so much that he made a way by sending his son to the cross where we wouldn't have to go to that place. I promise you, it would fix us if we could spend a minute in hell. And we would lose a lot of this too cool for school stuff that a lot of us have. David said it this way. He said, praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your sins? Who redeems your life from the pit? He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And this is maybe too, too cute by half, but... It is interesting that God didn't say he removed our sins as far from us as the north is from the south. Because if you were on the globe and you were going south, eventually you'd be going north again. But if you're going east, you're going east into infinity. Or if you're going west, you're going west into infinity. So in effect, in effect what David is saying is, God, I'm so thankful. I'm going to praise you. I'm going to make noise. I'm going to make a joyful noise. Somebody could say, well, Mark, I'm not a great singer. God didn't say come and make a perfect noise. He said make a joyful noise. You say, well, I don't know about the person standing in front of me or behind me. You're not singing laterally. You're singing, singing vertically. I really think there's something 
People who make noise in joy to God are the kind of people you want to be around. I've been at this church for 35 years. We were at the old location for 15 years before I came over, we came over here. But I've thought many times about people that I've had the privilege of pastoring through the years. I remember back at our old location, I'd only been here one week. And a family invited me to their home, Mary Alice and I, boys. We didn't have Steve at the time, of course. And we were still getting acquainted with the area. And this home was kind of out in the country. It was a beautiful home. And when we sat down that night, the man of the family started telling me the story. He had come up in a wonderful family. It was clear that God had given him a beautiful family, a wonderful wife, great kids, magnificent home. He told me about his job. He had a high-paying job in the area. But the thing that blew my mind was that he was so critical of everything in his life. Nothing was good. Everything was bad. Everything was ugly. I remember that night it stood out to me. I was only 28 at the time, but it stood out to me that he called his job the slime pits. And yet clearly it had made a way for him to have all this wonderful life. I pastored him for 12 years. He never got any better. I can never remember that guy ever saying a good thing about anything. It was always a complaint. It was always a criticism. It was always negative. It was always dark. I would hope that I was always a blessing to his family. I think I would have done anything for them if they had needed me, but I stayed away from that guy as much as I possibly could. I, you're ever around somebody, they just bring you down. They're so negative and fault-finding and critical and unthankful. During those years, there was a lady in our church named Dorothy. She was probably getting up around 70 years of age, and she had so many health problems. I mean, to start off with, she had MS. But MS was just part of the catalog of problems that this poor lady had. I mean, she had so many fatal illnesses. And yet, the doors of our church were never open that Dorothy wasn't there. I can still, in my mind, see her walking from her car into that. In those days, I used to greet everybody at the door. We were a much smaller church. And here would be Dorothy. And Dorothy, because of all these illnesses, would be kind of unsteady on her feet. And she would kind of go back and forth. And that might bother most people, but Dorothy would say to me as she would walk in the door, Pastor, I wonder what those people on South Hillside think. They probably think it's a drunk lady going to church. <laughs> and she would laugh about it. And I'd say, Dorothy, how are you doing today? She'd say, if I was any more blessed, I couldn't stand it. And that's how it was for years. But when she came down close to death, I would visit her in her home. And I would go ask her, Dorothy, how are you doing? That was a silly question. She was dying. I'd say, Dorothy, how are you doing? And she would smile at me and say, if I was any more blessed, I couldn't stand it. You know what? The first guy, I would do whatever I could to avoid him. With Dorothy, I would do whatever I could just to go talk to her. Even after she passed away and I preached her funeral in that old auditorium, I would go back to the pew where she used to sit and I would just go and touch the back of that pew and thank God for Dorothy Bryant. Man, there is just something about people who make noise about God that you want to be around. They are game changers. They're life changers. They're generation changers. There's something about those that just sort of like negative and dry and like, well, I'm blessed, but so what? 
They're just the losers of life. So David, he's asking the question, I'm blessed, so what? The first thing is to remember, Thanksgiving starts with Thanksgiving. It's important to God that we remember how blessed and who blessed. And then the second thing is to make some noise. And then number three, it was evidently important to David that he keep his promises. Who am I talking to here today besides me who when you went through difficult times made God some promises? And then when the sun came out, we forgot. Or we did a little bit of it. Or we did it for a while. And evidently this was a problem for David because he asked the question, what can I give back to God for the blessings that he's poured out on me? But two times in the succeeding verses, verse 14 and verse 18, he said, I'll complete what I promised God I would do. It would seem like that when death was staring him in the face and hell was hot on his heels and he was going to cry and he was going to stumble, it seems like David was making God all kinds of promises. But when God blessed him and rescued him from death and kept his eyes from crying and his feet from stumbling, David's like, you know, I kind of forgot what I promised God. And now that David is asking, what will I do to respond to God? He says, I'll keep my promises. How do we do this? I'm going to tell you what I'm thinking. I think in our heart and our mind, we go back and try to feel what it was like when we were in trouble. Remember what David said? Death wrapped its ropes around me. The terrors of the grave overtook me. I saw only trouble and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Please, Lord, save me. How kind the Lord is. How good he is. You remember when you were in trouble. All right. Number four. I really wrestle with this one. I mean, David's asking the question, how shall I respond to God? And I'm reading what it looks like I'm reading. And I said in my office early this week, and I said, surely it can't be what it looks like it is. And so I read it in Hebrew, and I read it in various translations, and I'm trying to say, it it, it can't be what it looks like, because David has just asked, what am I going to do for God's blessing in my life? And he says this, what may I give to the Lord for all the good things which he's done for me? I will take the cup of salvation and give praise to the name of the Lord. I'm like, wait a minute. He's asking, what shall I give? And he's saying, I will take. And the more I studied, the word of God is just this way sometimes. Sometimes there's no way of avoiding the obvious statement of scripture because God just thinks so differently than we do. I really believe what David is teaching here is in gratitude, you receive what God has for you. Here's what helped clarify it for me. If you go to someone's house and they have prepared something nice for you and they seat you and say, would you like this? What is an act of gratitude? You receive it. Suppose for a moment that it's your birthday and the person who loves you most has put together a great celebration. Food, cake, presence, invited all your friends to come celebrate your birthday. And they call you that afternoon and say, everything is ready tonight. Just come over. We're going to celebrate your birthday. And for that person to say, nah, I'm going to go home and uh, watch Netflix tonight. 
That would be the height of ingratitude, wouldn't it? David said, what will I do? And he said, I'm going to take the cup of salvation. I really do believe gratitude starts when we realize how much God loves us and that hell would have been our eternal home. And God loved us so much that he didn't want anybody to spend a second in hell. And he sent his son into the world and he hung on a cross for six hours and suffered like no other human has ever suffered to pay the price for your sin. And God offers you a cup of salvation and simply says, come as you are and receive my son, Jesus Christ. Gratitude says, I will receive what you've done for me. I'm blessed. So what? So what? You don't have to be an intellectual to be a giver of thanks. You don't have to sing on American Idol to make a joyful noise. You don't even have to be the most sophisticated human being to give God thanks. H.B. Charles, pastor of Shallow Missionary Baptist Church in Jacksonville. Now I love listening to H.B. preach. He told the story about a woman in his church. When they had prayer meeting, she would pray the same prayer over time, all, all the time. Oh, Lord, thank you, Jesus. I mean, when it came her time to pray, everybody knew what she was going to pray. Oh, Lord, thank you, Jesus. And it got so to where it would cause eyebrows to raise a little bit. And some of the kids would kind of snicker at her because it was going to be the same prayer. Oh, Lord, thank you, Jesus. Someone finally got the courage up to ask her why she prayed that same prayer all the time. And she said, here in Jacksonville, Jacksonville we live in a really rough neighborhood. And at night, I can hear the bullets flying. And I hug my baby girl to my chest and lie on the floor and say, oh, Lord. And in the morning when I get up and we're still alive, I say, thank you, Jesus. She said, every morning when I put my baby girl on the school bus, I don't know what she's going to face that day. And I'm scared to death. And I put her on the bus and I pray, oh, Lord. And when three o'clock rolls around and she comes home off that bus, I say, thank you, Jesus. She said, when I get to church and I think about all that God has done for me, all I can pray is, oh, Lord, thank you, Jesus. You know, that sounds pretty sophisticated to me. That sounds pretty intellectual to me. That seems a lot smarter than some of us who are too cool for God. I'm blessed. So what? If you're here today and you're a Christ follower, I have a challenge for you. Forget me. God has a challenge for you. And the challenge is to think about what God has done for you. Some of us came in today and all we can think about is the problems that we have, but think about what God has done for you and think about how blessed you are. Do you have somebody who loves you? You're blessed today. Do you have children? They may not be perfect, but you're blessed today. Can you get up and walk around? Then you're blessed today. 
I mean, you just think about the things that God has in your life. I mean, all over this campus, there are people who don't have what we have. And, and here's the deal. All of us are blessed in some particular way. None of us may have what other people would. Some of us are blessed emotionally, while we may not be blessed physically. Others are blessed physically, but you may deal with an emotional disorder. I'm just telling you here today, it's important to remember what we do have. And if I'm talking to anybody here today and you're not sure that you're going to heaven, I really want to talk about that fourth thing. I want to challenge you to receive God's gift of salvation. One of the greatest acts of gratitude you can do for the God who loves you is to accept his son, Jesus Christ, and to receive forgiveness of your sins and adoption into his family. And the Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So I'm going to, as we close out this service, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And if you're here, if you're in North Auditorium, watching online, watching on television, if you're here in any way and you just say, Mark, I want to I respond by accepting God's gift of eternal life then I'm going to pray a prayer with you. These aren't magic words. The important thing is what you feel in your heart. But I'm going to pray it slowly so you can decide if you want to own each line. Are you ready? Here we go. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner, but I believe you love me anyway. I believe Jesus died for my sins. I believe his blood paid for everything wrong. I've ever done. I believe Jesus arose from the grave and since he's alive I want him to be my savior and king. I receive your salvation in Jesus name. Amen. If you just prayed that prayer with me you can go to any info center. They're all over the campus. And just say, I pray with Mark. And there's a gift box for you, a Bible that's a New Spring Bible, just like I preach from, a book I wrote that will answer a lot of questions, and just some other cool stuff. May God bless you. Hope I get to see you tonight. Happy Thanksgiving. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in Wichita, the surrounding area, we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our incredible kids and student environments, visit us at newspring.org. One more time, newspring.org.